Welcome, ladies and gents, to the Grim and Bloody Podcast. This show is a presentation of horror, thriller, and suspense, and is intended for mature audience. Join us at your own risk. Well, welcome to a special edition of the Grim and Bloody Show podcast. My name is Kevin Nicholson, writer for HorrorNews.net, Scary Monsters Magazine, We Belong Dead, yada, yada, yada. Uh, And uh, we are here. Our show is, as always, brought to you by the good folks at InkTip and the good folks at Florida's great uh, horror convention and festival, Spooky Empire. But with us, as always, is Al Omega, uh, award-winning, well, create, well, popular host of the Creature Features show on, let's see, Roku. Uh, I'm on Roku and Creature Features Network. Creature Features Network. Uh, you've got your own site, creaturefeaturesshow.com. How are you doing, Al? I'm holding up here, ready for the show. I- you know, I've got a bunch of stuff I, I want to talk about too, so I'm, I'm sure. so ready. Sure. Happy to be here. With us also is Joe Flynn, the award winning host of Create TV, now in its 23rd year. Joe? Yeah, 23rd. I, I am kicking it over, you know. Come on. I'm almost getting to that magic 25. Come on, save me. You're going to be a real life boy. <laughs> yeah. And uh, with us today is the most special of guests uh the uh i consider him to be a b-movie icon uh you know he is what helped get me into uh you know uh into uh being uh, a horror film fan especially uh, uh a fan of the nature animals amok kind of uh uh you know kind of films and i'm telling you right now that if you were at the drive-in in the 1970s you quite likely saw a film made by this man and because it was that popular and i'm talking about william Griffey, uh the uh director of let's let's start with sting of death death curse of tartu uh yes. stanley uh, you've got uh, Impulse with the great Bill Shatner in uh, uh, in fine form, and you've got um, you know another one of your best Mako Jaws of Death with the absolutely terrific Richard Jekyll uh, in uh, you know in it. Bill, how's it? Uh, how are you doing today? How is Florida? Hot as hell. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, uh. This from the man who said he is Florida movies. That's it. That's yeah. it. And uh, so I want to start with uh, well, this is do kind of a preamble uh, in it that kind of how you got into um, if you can how you got into doing films. Were you the kid that was stealing away to the movie theater uh, when you were ten? Uh, wanting to see uh, you know, latest pictures and you said I want to do that I want to be in that well what I used to see I'm born in Miami and lived in Florida but my aunt lived up in New York so in the summer I'd go up and visit her 
and I, uh, I'd go to uh, 42nd Street in New York, right off Broadway, and they had like four or five theaters in a row there. And you could, like, for you'd see three feature films for 25 cents. So I'd, uh, I'd go and just live in the theater, you know, and watch movie after movie after movie, you know. And uh, then the way I, do you want to know how I got the crazy business directly? Yeah, well, how you got that drive to go into the business, basically? Well, basically, see, uh, I was, uh, it, when the Korean War came along, I, I guess I'd seen too many John Wayne movies, so I joined, <laughs> I joined up and after the <laughs> Korean War, I got married and, uh, and uh, well, first of all, I, I did a summer stock. I thought I wanted to be an actor and I did summer stock up in Woodstock, New York. And uh, so uh, after summer stock, you know, the Korean War came along and I went in and when I uh, got out, I got married and I thought, well, gee whiz, uh, you know, there's no future in being an actor because I got a family to support. So I went on the Miami Fire Department and became a fireman. Well, when you, uh, on the fire department, you used to work 24 hours and you were off 48 hours. And so even on the fire department, you, you're not on the, you're on a fire all the time. So I sit on write scripts and I, I wrote about four or five screenplays and I got the rejection slips to prove I, I wrote them, you know, because I, I couldn't sell one. And finally, some guy in, in Miami wanted to do a feature and he bought the checkered flag. And they had one, it was about automobile racing up at Seabury. So they asked me to come up for rewrites and all. And so I took a 30-day vacation from the fire department and I went up to Seabring and the first day he had a nervous breakdown and the investors panicked, what are we going to do? We got to get a, a director in here. And, and you know, there was hardly any film business in Florida then. And there was no director. So the, they brought this whole cameraman out of retirement and he said, what the hell? The writer knows all about it. Make him the director. And this is one o'clock in the morning uh, in Sebring in a motel room. So the next day I started directing the movie. And fortunately, the checkered flag was a, a you know, success. And so that's how I got into directing, just by being drafted in a motel room. Uh, that sounds familiar, actually. Uh, beg your pardon? So that sounds familiar, actually. I know a lot of people that sort of got drafted. I, I myself sort of got sucked into this. That's how I always say it. But we're right. sort of glad that you did. Yeah. So anyway, uh, one of you wanted to know something about Alex Rocco? No, no. Uh, actually, uh, what I wanted to ask, and we'll, we'll definitely get to Stanley and, uh, mm -hmm. and, and so forth, but let's talk about one of my favorites uh to start with was the first one that got you into the horror uh genre which was sting of death can you uh talk a little bit about that's a very small production uh you know very uh uh very low budget but it has that 
authenticity of the uh, of the Florida locations and uh, uh, and so forth. Talk about the making of that just a little bit. Well, when you think of it right now, they probably laugh us out of the theater when you when you had the jellyfish monster, you know. But, but it's fun. There's something fun about that about sure. that monster. Right. right. Really. Well, uh, one one thing happened. You know, the producer that had never produced a movie before, and uh, so uh, he uh, he was a building contractor. And uh, when we did the one scene out in the Everglades, you know, I just, you know, I'd, I'd lived in the Everglades because I, I was from Miami. And, you know, I said, uh, you know, Richard, we can't film. I, I know a guy that has a hunting camp. We're going out in the Everglades. So, so we all get in our airboats and we travel out to this island and the cord to the Aeroflex camera fell overboard and we get out there and we uh, couldn't run the camera so we had to go back to the Tamiami Trail, send someone in the, the equipment house get another cord, blah 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 so I started shooting about 2 in the afternoon and uh, I still uh, got it in on schedule and uh, but uh the jellyfish monster, uh, Doug Hobart, played the jellyfish monster, who he, he later became, uh, you know, Tartu, when I did Tartu. So uh, anyway, when we finished, uh, uh, oh, like the underwater stuff, I'll never forget we, uh, uh, this, as I said, this producer had never produced before. So we were supposed to go out uh, and do some underwater stuff. So we report in the morning, seven in the morning, and the broad, uh, the weather report was it's going to be 12 foot seas, you know, and high winds. And I said, Richard, there's no way in God's world we're ever going to film underwater. I rented this boat. It's paid for. We're going out. So boom, boom. We go out, and everybody was seasick but me and the, my script girl. And so anyway, we get out to uh, where we were supposed to do the underwater, and we had a couple of bikini babies with it. So one of the divers, one of the press, he said, well, Richard, maybe uh, it'll be calm in the water. Let me go down, and he dives in. Help! 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 <laughs> he getting, getting washed out to sea and we're throwing him donuts and all, you know. So I said, all right, Richard, now will you believe me? Uh, let's go up to a Rainbow River where uh, it's beautiful, clear uh, in, the, uh, in the spring there. So that's where we went up to near Silver Springs and we did the underwater, which is about... Oh, 300 miles north of uh, Miami. But, but it was uh, some crazy experience. And you happen to have a certain actress uh, on uh, this who would go on to, to a certain level of stardom, Deanna Lund. Yeah, Deanna uh, Lund. Who would go on to Land of the Giants uh, yeah. fame and, and be a B-movie star in her own right. 
Um, what did you? What were your recollections of working with her? Did you kind of see that she was going to go places? Well, you know, at, at that time, you she, know, you know, she was in the movie. She, but she didn't have that much of a part. You no, know? and uh, so, as Jessica, yeah, yeah, but. You know, when I'd go to California, I'd see her, you know, and um, congratulate her. We had dinner and all that, you know. Sure. Good. She did uh, go on uh, to do some some good stuff. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, now, yeah. as, as far as uh, you said that you continued, you talked about uh, Doug Hobart um, playing your uh, your jellyfish uh I kept, uh, you know, I, I kept wanting to give him uh, like like a, this creature character a name, like Fred, or something like uh, like that, because it looked like a Fred, uh, you know, kind of uh, uh, kind of thing. Um, and it kind of leads to I was going to ask you about your next uh, your next picture, Death Curse of Tartu. Um, Sting of Death made some money for you, and no, no what happened? Yeah. No, what happened? See. Back then, all uh, horror movies were double features, sure. which they, they put in the drive-ins and the local theaters. So uh, the distributor uh, could not find another horror movie. So he said the magic word, gee, if I could get one, I'd finance it. He would. <laughs> so, anyway, see what young filmmakers don't realize today it was a nightmare. The damn camera weighed over 200 pounds. And uh, you'd have a, you could, on low budgets, you'd only do one take. And maybe if you really goofed up bad, two takes because the film was so expensive. And then when you got into editing, the editing took forever, you know, because you'd get on the movieola and you'd look at the thing and let's say, oh, I need a, close-up of tar two and uh you go to a can the assistant would get cans out we'd look now you know it's just boop you hit the computer and it's right there you know but uh so anyway the when he said it finance it well the big problem was april 15th all the drive-ins open up uh in uh in the north uh, and they needed the film for April 15th, and now it's like December 1. So when he said the magic word, I'd finance it. And so anyway, I literally wrote Death Curse of Tartu in 24 hours. I stayed up all night, wrote the script. Uh, I said, what the hell can I write about? So I just took the age-old thing where the, the Pharaoh says uh, if anybody disturbs uh, my tomb he'll come back and haunt you so the I mummy just, thing the mummy just moved egypt into yeah. the port yeah. everglades you know yeah. and uh and i so anyway i shot that in seven days the death curse of Tark too the schedule was seven days and uh but uh so anyway it was released as a double feature and uh you know in the end uh who ever seen Death Curse of Tartu, they see Tartu uh, goes down in the quicksand and dies. 
That's not true. Tartu will not die. He's still alive. I mean, he keeps coming back. More people talk about Tartu. Sequel! Come on! <laughs> Sequel! Sequel! Party! Wait for this one. I'm just stunned. You, know, you say ahead. you wrote this overnight. Um, and I'm kind of shocked. You know, are you familiar with the term retroscripting? Which is, is, is generally where you sort of give people the idea of what to say and they figure out the words in front of the camera. Was it when you say you wrote it, was it like that, or did you actually write down all the words for, for their script? Oh, I, I don't quite understand what so I'm just saying when you wrote the script overnight, you wrote down all the dialogue yourself. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. wow. Yeah. Uh, I want to actually backtrack just a bit. Yeah. Your first movie, you became the director, and I'm I'm sorry, I'm not sure, but you didn't really have any background in this. How, how do you even start doing that? Uh, if someone said, "Here, I have a bunch of money, be a director," I don't know that I could. Well, I don't know. You just, uh, you know, I there were no schools or anything to go to, so you know, I just picked everybody's brain, and you know. See, directing a movie is a 50-50 proposition. Number one is naturally working with the actors and to interpret the script. But the other two, other thing is blocking with cameras and, and so forth. So so I just picked everybody's brain and uh, became self-educated more or less. On, uh, we'll talk about the steep learning curve. You know, I, I for one think you did a great job. So I've actually watched most of these movies already myself. So I think we've all watched them over the years. Uh, right. I watched no, them more Gene, recently. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Me, no, me uh, too. No, so have I. Uh, I do have a quick question about for you, oh, William, or Bill, I should say. What was the most... Uh, Pleasant moment of filming Stanley. Were there any? Well, I think I think Stanley. I mean, uh, probably the Alex Rocco thing was the funniest thing. The, yep. the woman to tell about Alex Rocco. Go ahead and, and tell that uh, that whole story. There's we'll go on to Stanley. There's a whole. Um, a few other stories too uh, to talk about. So go ahead and we'll we'll start with uh, the Alex Rocco. Okay. Well, Alex Rocco, you know, more or less gained fame in The Godfather, and uh, where he played Mo Green, and uh, so uh, they the studio had sent him down to Florida uh, to um, you know help publicize it. So. So anyway, he was on, you know, per diem and everything from the, the Hollywood studio. And uh, so that's the way I, I sort of got him in the, and got him into Stanley. And uh, so when we were doing the, whoever seen Stanley, there's a scene where uh, Alex comes off the diving board and he's supposed to, He'd be a millionaire, he takes a swim every morning in his pool. So when he dives in, uh, he's going to be, uh, you know, uh, the swimming pool is full of 
uh, water moccasins and all. So Alex came up to me and he said, Bill, you know, I've been an actor a long time. I've never refused to do what a director tells me, but I'm scared to death of snakes. He said, please, can you do anything? And I said, well, I got a, some rubber snakes. Yeah, I'll, I'll work rubber snakes. And, but I had two handlers behind, <laughs> hiding behind the barn and they each had like two snakes a piece of them. And well, when Alex came off that board, I hit him with about 10 real snakes, bro. And there was so much panic, him trying to get out. When we were editing, he, he, we were editing and when I hit him with those snakes, he said, Rafe, you son of a bitch. And he's swimming like hell, trying to get out of the, the thing, you know. And, uh, later on, you know, my, my daughter, Melanie, is a first assistant director. And uh, after Alex won an uh, Emmy, uh, uh, she was doing a movie with him, and she heard the name Graffay. And so she said, Graffay, are, are you Bill Graffay's uh, related? She said, well, that's my father. Let me talk to him. <laughs> she, he calls me up, Griffey, you son of a bitch. <laughs> you know? So anyway, but he, he was. You said son. this is the the reconnect was a few years later. Your daughter was working on a picture, um, where and he was a cast member. Is that right? And he uh, he overhears that the the, the name Griffey, and that's when he asks if uh, are you related to to, to William Griffey. And uh, I thought you said, I remember you told me the story before, and I thought you said that he pulled the phone from her and said, is this Bill Griffey, the guy that, you know, directed, da 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 And that's when he laid into you. But you said he laughed about it, and he didn't have any kind of, like, ill will toward you uh, or anything like that. Is that right? Oh no, no, he was just he was good natured about it, but you know, but just but uh uh you know, I'll never forget Alex, you know, was uh, uh, sort of on the fringe of the mafia. I don't know if you knew that or sure. Not. And uh he was at a restaurant in LA and uh he spoke fluent Italian, you know. And so uh, they were all in the some uh some waiter, uh, you know, they were sort of cutting up in the restaurant, and, and some waiter in, in, uh, in Italian, you know, said something derogatory on, and Alex got up and beat the hell out of the guy, <laughs> broke a chair over his head and everything. So Alex was a, you know, could be a tough guy if, if uh, you mess with him, you know. Just remember. Do not make Mr. Alex Rucko uh, angry. He'll hurt you. That's right. Now, now talking about Stanley, the uh, couple of things uh, I'd like you to, uh, you know, to, to touch on. Um, what I've read was that um, you had a lot to do with. Well, the first first one is that you had a lot to do with um snake wranglers uh you know for it and there was a lot involved of uh defanging uh snakes 
and uh, uh, and uh, and so forth, and uh, um, all the things that they can uh, that they can do. Now, recall you telling me before that you didn't do much in the way of uh, rubber snakes. You most of it was was you just say uh, uh, yeah. the way Stanley came about. I was uh, in California, and Willard came out, and sure. Variety had. Willard, biggest grossing film, uh, you know. And so I knew from experience, see, when a trend comes, if you're the second guy out, you'll make money. If you're the fifth or sixth guy out, you're not going to make any money. So I don't know what the hell I ate that night, but I dreamt Stanley. And I woke up and I said, gee whiz, this might work. So Red Jacobs with Crown International had released uh, my film. And so I called up Red and Red was a tough old, you know, one of the guys, a cigar about a foot long. And I walked in or I called him up. He said, yeah, come by my office. And I said, Red, I got a great idea for a movie. And he said, well, leave me the screenplay. I'll read it over the weekend. I don't have a screenplay. Well, we'll at least show me the. And I said, I don't have anything except what's in my head. Why the hell are you bothering me, you son of a bitch? You know, he's <laughs> one of those. So he had, he had a box full of Cuban cigars. And I reached in and grabbed one of his cigars. Put that back, you son of a bitch. And he's screaming at me. And I said, Red, calm down, for God's sake. Get a. a his uh, vice president and uh, the other guy that was in advertising. So I got in and I told him the whole story. I had it all in my head. And he looked at me, he says, how much will you make this movie for? And I said, $125,000. said, you got a deal. Well, his handshake was as good as 10 contracts today. And he said, I'm only going to put one monkey on your back. I got to have this in the theaters April 15th. So I'm not going to turn a deal down. And, you know, this is my first of December. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so I said, no, no problem. So anyway, we shook hands on the deal. I said, I got to get the red eye back. So I thought, Jesus, I don't have a script. What the hell am I going to do? I got the idea in my head. So I said, I'll call up, I'm trying to remember his name now. Uh, anyway, this uh, screenplay writer I knew was a pill popper. The guy had a whole, you know, a briefcase full of pills. And I said, oh, he, he can write it. He'll stay up for two or three days without sleep, you know. So I met him at the... Uh, of uh, uh, LA airport and I said, I'm taking a red eye. And this was a Friday. And I uh, took the red eye back to Miami. And I said, I need a screenplay Monday morning. And so he just stayed up the whole weekend. And from all my notes on, on the story, he wrote the screenplay. And I started filming like 10 days later. And uh, so, uh, but Stanley, I don't know if you know it or not, when it opened in LA, 
it opened against the original Godfather, and the Godfather grossed 181,000. Stanley grossed 175,000. So, and God knows what the Godfather cost, you know, 10 million or something. Stanley cost 125,000 to make. So, uh, you know, which is fantastic, you know, because just like, you know, back then, when your movies came out, you know, regardless of who you're going with, as long as you made some money, it was a success compared to nowadays. Yeah, well, see, what we used to only make, you know, prints were very expensive, and um, we'd only make maybe anywhere from five or ten prints, and we'd bicycle them around to different cities. But uh, Stanley was such a success, they, they made over a hundred prints of Stanley. And, uh, and so it, it really did fantastic business, you know. And, uh, but uh, a, f a funny story, you know, Red, uh, they didn't believe me at Crown what I was going to do with rattlesnakes. But so they sent down Johnny Burroughs, who was uh, going to be my watchdog that I could do what I claimed I could do. So anyway, I met him at the airport in Miami when he came in. And instead of going to the motel, he said, oh, listen, uh, can I meet uh, Frank Weed, your animal trainer? And I said, well, sure. So he, uh, Frank Weed lived out in the, on the edge of the Everglades there. And so we drove out and walked up to his little cabin. And uh, Frank wasn't there, but his, his son was there. And it was, uh, in, as I said, December. So it was sort of cold for Miami. So we walk in and right in the living room, he had a little wire cage and he had about four or five rattlesnakes in it. And uh, Johnny Burrow said, well, what the hell are you doing with these rattlesnakes in the living room? He said, well, it's cold. Uh, we know Bill's gonna use them Monday. So we, we didn't want them to get cold. And, and so Johnny said, and, uh, do, do you handle these at all? And he said, oh, yeah. And he reaches in, grabs a rattlesnake, and he's like this. And Johnny said, gee, don't you get ever bit? And the kid said, well, yeah, I, uh, I uh, got bit on the end of my finger. Uh, we were hunting moccasins, water moccasins. And uh, that night, my finger turned black, and so I cut it off. He said, you cut your finger off. And he said, yeah, here it is. And he reaches over and he's got a jar of alcohol with his finger floating in. And, and, and so Johnny said, okay, Griffey, we can leave now, you know. So anyway, but I think Stanley should have had a Screen Actors Guild uh, uh, you know, card because he did more stuff. Like, I don't know if you remember the scene where he crawled in the boat and uh, Chris Robinson was in with the outboard motor. I mean, Stanley, uh, you know, really did, did stuff that uh, I don't know how he you know, listened to us, but he did what I wanted him to do. Now, how was, uh, I, I've read interviews and so forth from Chris Robinson, the star, 
uh, uh, about you know Stanley, and he he doesn't seem to have problems working with the live snakes and uh, and things uh, like that. Uh, what are your recollections about Chris, who went on to a long soap opera career uh, or as a soap star, and um, and so forth? Talk about him for a little bit. Well, Chris was a real trooper, a real trooper, you know. And see, what we did with the rattlesnakes is he'd cut their fangs off. Yeah. See? And, uh, but uh, we were in the film here about 10 days in. All of a sudden, I said to uh, Frank Weed, I said, what the hell? What is, I didn't know their fangs grown back. You cut their fangs off. Sure. You know, and so anyway, but Chris was a hundred percent trooper. He really, you know, put Stanley around his neck and we did all kind of stuff, you know. But uh but uh anyway, I can't talk enough uh, how cooperative he was and plus he's a damn good actor, you know. Uh, so uh Yeah. And so, uh, did you have? Were there any issues with the uh, with the snakes themselves? Any uh, injuries to you know to uh, you know no, to no. The, to the snakes or anything like that? The thing, uh, you know, if you watch it, you have the snakes, you know, yeah. hitting. You. So what we would do is we get a big plate of glass, sure, and we have the camera, and then hit the glass, you know. And but one rattlesnake hit the glass and ricocheted right over, and the poor cameraman, you know, ran like hell, you know, because the rattlesnake came right over, you know. But he he was a hot hot one that he he wasn't stitched, you know. And uh, but you know we used four or five uh, different rattlesnakes, you know, but uh. But anyway, uh, you know, I have the reputation of working with uh, rattlesnakes and uh, sharks, and such and such. <laughs> so, anyway. well, you can work with them, you can work with agents. So, no wonder you did well. Uh, now, talk yeah. about. There's a very famous scene in the film, and uh, I think you even told this story before. There's a famous scene in the film. Where you're dealing with, uh, there's a character who is in a, a victim who is in quicksand, uh, or who's in marsh and is slipping, and that's the scene where everybody. It's a famous scene where uh, where Chris Robinson takes Stanley and uh, and as the guy is grasping for a branch to get you know to pull himself out, he says, "Stanley, bite his hand." Uh, and you had you had some issues filming that uh, that sequence. Um, if I recall, what happened is the, you know, I wanted to get an underwater camera, and go in, and the cameraman refused to do it because it was murky water. And I said, "Oh, what the hell!" So I got in, and, uh, and so I actually did that shot and went under with the with the camera, you know, because I had the camera and, and went under as uh, uh -huh. when they threw Stanley at it. So. Uh, Anyway, so, you know, I, I never ask anybody to do something I wouldn't do myself. 
And uh, if, I, if anyone refused, I'd say, oh, the hell with it. I'll do it, you know. And uh, well, did uh, you have a moment where you said, where you're, you're standing, you know, neck deep in this, uh, in uh, the muck or the dirty water? Did you have a moment where you said, this is what I got into filmmaking for? Yeah, yeah. There's <laughs> an old saying. I can't repeat it, but who do I have to, to get out of this movie? And <laughs> that was your movie. Yeah. Can I get a stunt double here on the double? Now, <laughs> now, oh, yeah. He was asking, uh, was there uh, was there a stunt double for you standing by to, to, uh, to step in to film that bit? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 anyway, the only time I really almost got it was, uh, I don't know if you saw Hook Generation. There yeah, a, yeah. There was, there was a scene in the cabin where they were underneath and the, the police were shooting and we had ricochets and all. And uh, so uh, Johnny Chandler and all were, uh, there and we had a like Johnny was supposed to be a dope addict and a hypodermic needle and so uh, when the squib went off it blew something out of there there was a, a grip standing beside me and some a piece of metal went in his arm and he oh and the guy fell you know and so I I couldn't get the 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 shot I wanted. So we had all that stuff there with those squibs and I said, well, look, wrap a sound blanket around me and put a barn door. You know what a barn door is. It's a, a piece of metal over and they taped that on. And I took a handheld area and I said, okay, let's do it with those squibs again. And during the filming, I, I heard something bounce off that, you know, that barn door I had taped. So when we got into editing in slow motion, it had blown a hypodermic needle, and that hypodermic needle came right, and that's what hit that barn door and bounced off me. So I, I was real lucky on that one. Uh, so you have Whatever. the six, you have the success of Stanley. You have as you said, number two at the box office, uh when it uh when it opened behind a certain Coppola picture. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's kind of uh your career takes an interesting uh turn in a different direction in the horror psycho uh you know genre where you have um impulse. You know, which is kind of about this uh, this Lothario, sadistic Lothario, who uh, who murders when he gets aroused, and uh, uh, he has a fascination for the color red and, uh, and so forth. He's a he's a he's a he's a gigolo who kills. How did the how did the genesis of that come about? And if you can talk about how William Shatner became involved. Well, uh, Impulse, uh, uh, Socrates Ballas was a, uh, a guy who worked for me, and, and he was an actor in uh, Hook Generation. He, 
they were one of, they were one of the Cubans that got shot with, uh, you know, with one of those spear guns. But uh, he uh, wanted to produce a movie, so he uh, had uh, went over to Tampa and he raised the money and he got the money to do it. They hired me to direct the thing, so uh, he wanted me to go to California to About 20 half hour film okay. of Bacardi Rum. So later right. on, he shot there in Puerto Rico. Uh, mm-hmm. But, uh, but uh, Shatner, you know, is still a very good friend of mine. I just had a, a big birthday bash and Shatner sent a nice video. Uh, you know, and I didn't know you were older than me. I'm one month older than Shatner. So, YouTube. Oh yeah. Type in uh, Quentin Tarantino, Whiskey Mountain, and he loves my movie Whiskey Mountain. So, uh, so he just sent me a thing. I could almost show it to you, but he sent me a birthday thing saying, "The man who put Stanley on top of Whiskey Mountain." <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, I, I don't agree. You know, I agree with that because Quentin Tarantino is like that. He's a big fan of movies that are, you know, unknown. Grindhouse movies. Yeah. Yes. He right. is that king of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, uh, you know, really, uh, I should try and show you that poster. But uh, anyway, it's... Uh, We'll take your word for it. We'll take your word for it. So, anyway, uh, so anyway, but Shatner, I, uh, you know, funny thing, you know, Shatner in person is a real funny guy. You know, like I was out, uh, Quentin Tarantino here has that theater in the New Beverly in LA, and he's had me out there twice showing my film. So, one time I went out and I said, I'm, I'm going to buy and see Shatner. And uh, and so I went by and I said, you know, he, he's got a, a ranch in Kentucky and he has about 10 horses at that ranch. And I said, hey, Bill, how are the horses doing? And he said, let me tell you this, Griffey, you never invest in something that's eats while you're sleeping. So... So that's his humor. He has to feed the horses even when you're asleep. You know, it's costing him a fortune to have those horses. You know, 
Well, a horse is, is, is a stomach with legs, uh, as people often say. They do like to uh, munch on things. Um, can I ask you, you know, I think you already mentioned the psychedelic priest. Yeah, well, wait one more. I want to tell you a funny okay. story on uh, impulse. Uh, I was in seeing Shatner and right before I went to California. And uh, impulse is a scene where he hangs uh, Harold Sakata, you know, the big guy from Goldfinger. And uh, so, uh, unbeknownst to me, there was an amateur guy watching us film, and he filmed uh, us and the, the, the actual uh, rig had slipped and Cicada was literally choking to death. And so the scene is uh, uh, Shatner's hitting Cicada and he notices that he's actually dying, choking to death. So he grabs Cicada and Cicada, you know, was like 260, 70 pounds. He was a big guy. So we all rushed in and so this guy is uh, is uh, uh, this, uh, I'm not even laughing at my own story. But so anyway, the guy uh, filmed that. So when I was going out to California, and the guy gives me a video. So I call up Shatner and I told him, he says, "Oh, I gotta see this, you know." And uh, so I went by Shatner's office and he looked at it. He said. Boy, this is fantastic. It shows me grabbing him, trying to save his life and all. And he said, but there's no sound. Why isn't there any sound? And I said, uh, well, it was some amateur guy was just filming it, you know, and he had no sound. He said, well, boy, I'd record it, but I don't have any equipment. So there was a young filmmaker I knew at Jerry's uh, Deli on Ventura there was having lunch with uh, this insane writer, uh, uh, Gary, Gary Crutcher. And uh, so anyway, I called up the young filmmaker. I said, get over here, Shatner will send you a recorder. I know you got recording equipment. So uh, the writer said, ah, the hell with Shatner. I just ordered a banana split, but I said, hand that phone to Darren. So I said, Gary, if you're not here in five minutes, I'm going to come over. And you know where I'm going to shove that banana split? And I get over here. So anyway, they came over and re Shatner recorded the whole thing. And he, afterward, he looked at his funny look on his face. He said, I can't believe I did this for nothing. Because you know, Shatner gets paid for everything, you know? so I'm probably the only guy in the world that ever got Shatner to do something for nothing. You know? Well, it just goes to show that if I think with Bill Shatner, and I think we kind of see this over the years, uh, if you are a real friend of his, or he's a, you and he are real friends, I think there isn't anything that he wouldn't do for you. Know, wouldn't do for you. That's he doesn't true. forget the people that he works with over the years. Uh, yeah, see, see, when I, yeah. I did all those, all those half-hour films, which were very entertaining films. Sure. And uh, so I was doing one in Puerto Rico, and I called up Shatner, and I said, I'm doing this film. And he was uh, 
uh, engaged in some, I forget her name, he later married her, but uh, anyway, I said, I'm doing this film in Puerto Rico. I can't pay you what I'd usually on a feature, but will you want to come down and bring your girlfriend with you? So he came down to Puerto Rico and did that whole thing for Was me. that Marcy Lafferty? Uh, his, uh, yeah, yeah, right, yeah right. Marcy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she, she was, she was at the thing, uh, uh, sure. uh, McCarty thing, you know. Sure. But, uh, but he's still a very good friend. And, you know, as I told you, he sent a nice video for my birthday and all. So, anyway. Well, uh, uh, I was just going to ask. Uh, if people are interested in finding you, how can they find you on the social media? I'm sorry, I didn't understand. Uh, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, just 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 Google William Griffey, G-R-E-F-E, and and uh, give all my credits. But uh, uh, I'm on Facebook too, you know. But, so, uh, but, what? Uh, I want to go ahead and ask you, uh, you know, Bill, if we can talk for just a little bit about um, about Mako Jaws of Death, and which which seems to be one of those uh, films, maybe along with uh, with Stanley and Impulse, that just resonates with people even some fifty years, uh, you know, fifty years later. Um, talk about that for uh, a little bit with uh, and about working with Richard Jekyll. Well, the way that came about, uh, you know, I had uh, done the shark stuff on Live and Let Die, the James Bond film. And uh, so I was at the Cannes Film Festival and uh, Cubby Broccoli, you know, was there for the guy that did, uh, you know, all of the stuff uh, uh, for the James Bond film. And so uh, anyway, uh, that's the way he knew I was with Ivan Tours, who did a lot of underwater stuff. So, so I'd done the shark stuff there. And so when Mako came out, uh, you know, I, as I said, uh, the trend after Willard was the, was going to be the uh, animal thing. I, so I was the second guy out, you know, and I uh, came up, but. You know, it's interesting the way I worked with real sharks. You know, those were those weren't any CGI sharks. Those were the real McCoy. And the way we'd do it, we always shot at Bimini. And what we'd do is we'd uh, get about five or six cement blocks and we'd uh, uh, you know, tie them, get them rigged with a big hook and we'd get a snapper or whatever put it through their tail and put it out on the reef. And every, every morning we'd go out and there'd be some, a couple of big sharks would hit those, uh, that bait and drag the cement block around. And we had a casket that, you know, you gotta throw oxygen in or, you know, in, in the water, or, or, you know, they'll die and so, down in Bimini, we had the harbor there that would block off. And uh, so I, I got caught about six or seven big tiger sharks and 
we'd tie a rope to their tail and put them in a, that little harbor there that was wired off. And when they wanted to use one, we'd hook the rope and pull them and put them in the casket and take them out and, and just use the real sharks, you know. And uh, so, uh, I mean, today it would all be CGI, you know, <laughs> but I had to use the real things back then. And uh, but I'll never forget, uh, there's a scene where three of them take off and one of them uh, came right back toward me and I kicked him right in the head when he came to me. And you know, their skin is like uh, sort of sandpaper and it sort of scratched, scratched the, my, my foot, you know, when I kicked him in the head. But uh, anyway, uh, yeah, sharks, snakes, nothing bothered me that much. <laughs> oh, I was, I was gonna ask you about the, the psychedelic priest. Oh, this, yeah. this is an insane story. <laughs> and we're ready to hear it. <laughs> you know, you did this back in, you know, what, uh, what was it? Was it uh, originally filmed in 71? People were... 70, yeah, 70 or 71. And uh, but I knew this insane producer. And he Aren't called they all? Huh? Aren't they all? Well, yeah, this this guy was really nuts. But anyway, he calls me up from L.A. and he said, "Bill, I got a great idea for a, for a, uh, I, was, uh, I got a script." Uh, and uh, and so he gave me the pitch. You know, uh, a priest leaves the church, travels with. It. So anyway, I, I, he said, "Jump on a plane, get out here. I want you to direct this movie." I said, well, send me the script. There's not time there. Come on. Well, I've been around the block. And I said, no way. Send me the round trip ticket and send me half my salary and I'll come out. You know, so about a week later, the ticket shows and half my salary. So I went to L.A. and he met me at the airport. And I said, well, come on, let me see the screenplay. I want to read it tonight. And he said, I'm in serious trouble, Bill. I said, what? He said, I don't have a screenplay. I said, well, what the hell did you bring me out here for? And he said, well, you know, I, I raised these trading stamps. But said, I don't know if anybody's old enough in L.A., but they had trading stamps. Where like if, if you uh, owned, a, say, an automobile garage and I owned a TV store, you know, I wanted a TV, I'd go in and trade these trading stamps back and forth. So he'd raise the money with trading stamps. So, you know, we had to stay at the, uh, I'm trying to remember, it was right on, on Sunset, right before you get to LA, into, into Beverly Hills, there was a motel there. But anyway, we were staying there and because then they took trading stamps and after three or four days of eating at this Wabata Inn, I said, uh, come on, I'll go across the street to the New World and, and uh, I'll buy dinner. So we went over there and, you know, he had the basic idea, but no screenplay. 
so there was a lot of hippies all around there at that time and uh so uh anyway i saw a girl over there and i said boy there's a typical hippie she had the long dress all the way so we went over and she'd never acted before and that was our star the next morning we're having breakfast at the Ramada and uh, the actor walks in and he'd never done a movie before but he wanted he was trying to get the business and he had a, a big uh like briefcase that had you know all his pictures in it and i said now he looks like a young priest so that's how we got it so uh, i shot that whole thing with no script whatsoever just winged the whole movie and uh and, and, you know retroscripting <laughs> yes yeah that's it man and the way we do, you know, like up in uh, 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 Topanga Canyon, we'd be going up there and, oh, there's a stream. That'd be nice to film there. And we'd get out there and just wing the whole thing, you know. So I shot that whole movie with no script and just uh, improvised the whole thing. So. To, go, uh, to go back on... Uh... Mako for just uh for just a bit. This is something that always intrigues me. Uh you said that Richard Jekyll was just terrific to uh to work with. And here's one here's a guy who there's one example that I want you to talk about of a guy who's dedicated to you know to art, dedicated to the work, to the production. You actually had a a, a time where he got injured. Oh yeah, and one and insisted on coming back to do this uh, to do the scene. Talk about that real uh, real quick before we wrap. As I said, Richard Jekyll was the most cooperative, uh, best actor I've ever worked with. The guy was a hundred hundred and ten percent pro. He was fantastic, you know. So when I was doing a. a you know the, the the movie he was not in the first scene and this this is the worst day of filming i ever had we had a see i did, had to do a lot of stuff on boats well as i said before the camera was 200 pounds which is a hell to film on a boat with a 200 pound camera and aeroflex had just come out uh with a handheld camera which uh, was lightweight, and, but it was, uh, you know, you could shoot sound with it. So we were there and uh, the, the assistant cameraman put it on the tripod and he cross-threaded the thing and when he went to pick it up over his shoulder, thing thing and broke, broke the, the lens and, and part of the camera and there was, there was only two of them in the United States, one in Miami and one in uh, Los Angeles. So uh, anyway, so I had a, I said, well, I'll go back to the equipment house, uh, get the big, uh, you know, uh, big Mitchell and we'll have to shoot with that. And uh, so anyway, uh, I, I said, well, I got a little handheld camera. I got to see where the boats come up and uh, we'll film that where the boats arrive. And so uh, 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 I'm still rehearsing the actors. 
and the assistant comes and says, Bill, the boats are stuck on a sandbar. There's going to be two or three hours till the tide rises and we get these boats off. So now I had a, you know, no main camera. And so I said, well, get Richard Jekyll. And uh, so I, he got Richard. And I said, Richard, I, I, I wasn't going to use you the first thing, but I got this problem. He said, well, no problem, Bill. And so he left uh, to get a, in the wardrobe and he comes in, the assistant said, Bill, you're sitting down. Now what's the matter? We just rushed Richard Jekyll to the hospital. He uh, jumped on the truck and he hit his head. You know, we had to take him, he was bleeding like a stuck pig. We had to, so he went to the, the hospital, sewed him up and Richard came back and insist on working, you know. Well, I mean, you couldn't see it, you know, fortunately it was on the top of his head, but he had stitches in his head and just on working. So, because uh, I, I know a lot of actors that, oh, he, they would have been out for a week, you know, moaning and groaning and all that. But he, he was the best pro I've ever worked with. He was fantastic. Just love Richard. He sounds like my kind of guy. You know, I yeah. worked on the sets myself, and it makes me feel better knowing that other people have had these problems too. Uh, We've had lots of interesting yeah. things happen on the set. Mm -hmm. right, right, right. Pardon me, but uh, Laurie, Laurie, oh, you better plug this computer in. I just paused. Uh, so go ahead. Uh, so I want to uh, just wrap it up uh, with. I want to tell folks that if you. I'm going to say that if you need a gift for somebody, you could you could do worse or a lot worse. You, you can't do much better, I should say, than he came from the swamp, the William Griffey collection. It is um, a tremendous, uh, fun viewing, uh, viewing experience. It contains, what is it, like five of your films? Oh, at, le at least five of them. Uh, yeah, um, it I think uh, Impulse and Stanley are uh, seven films, actually. It does not contain Stanley or Impulse because those have separate uh, releases. Um, but you've got Sting of Death, Death Curse of Tartu, The Hook Generation, The Psychedelic Priest, The Naked Zoo, uh, Mako Jaws of Death, and Whiskey Mountain. And you've got commentaries. Uh, you have... Um, you have featurettes, you have all kinds of wonderful good stuff. I'm going to tell folks it's available on Amazon.com. Uh, we'll even put this uh, in, uh, in, put the link into uh, uh, into the show text and, uh, uh, and uh, so forth. It is a lot of fun. Each one of the films, I know you have stories to tell about Naked Zoo. Uh, well, you know, hold on a second before I forget. Yeah. Very important. Sure. Uh, next, in the, about three or four weeks, Impulse is coming out on Blu-ray. See? And, and uh, Bob, you know, uh, Mikulski, you know, he's an Academy Award editor for Hurt Locker. Uh, he uh, has the Grindhouse releasing, which is sort of a hobby. Sure. And Impulse 
I've never had a Blu-ray or a, anything that with more extras. He's got more extras on that coming out than. Do you have that Bill Shatner, um, the uh, the saving Harold Sakata? Is that footage going to be on the? Sure, it's on this. Yeah. I mean, he's yeah. got so much extras; it's, it's insanity. So anybody that loves Shatner and Impulse, sure. sure be out next month on blu-ray and that'll be uh i'll look forward to that uh and i know stanley has uh has been out i'm not sure is that out on blu-ray as well already yeah Yeah, but they didn't they should have uh advertised that a lot more they didn't have it as it's out on blu-ray now right Uh, but the stories that chris robinson tells about working with the snakes is just as fabulous as the stories that you tell, uh, you know about it. But I, I, uh, I know we got to wrap this uh, uh, this up. Uh, we usually do a uh, a little round uh, roundhouse uh, uh, roundtable thing where we uh, uh, we ask uh, my co-hosts and I, you know, discuss what we're doing next and so forth. So we'll do that real quick. And then we will uh, we will wrap up with uh, with Bill Griffey. Al, what do you got coming? Well, hopefully we get back to Chabot this month, uh, next month, early on, and, and uh, get back to filming some stuff down there. And of course, um, I'm always worried about what's going on with the strike right now. And our hearts go out to those people. Yes, yes. And uh, you never know; something might pop up. So I got I got to say, got to keep my track shoes on in case something happens. Very and, good, Al. Find out. <laughs> and Joe, what do you got next? Oh, me? <clears throat> Going to basically talk about uh, the guest list of Son of Monster Palooza, which is happening in Burbank in October. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun talking about other movies that are popping up near us or right. for us. Right. And uh, I'll just say, you know, I... I just finished some more uh, some more writing uh, for uh, have uh, pieces where I was talking about or I was writing about doing a few for um, the next book in the unsung horrors series for We Belong Dead, um, and I think it's uh, uh, I think this is unsung horrors from beyond uh, the grave, the third. Um, edition and so i did uh had five pieces uh in that uh we were talking about rasputin the mad monk and we were talking about uh howling two your sister is a werewolf a really interesting film called curse of the black widow a television film that dan curtis did um that's going to be on there so that's going to be a lot of stuff and i will say for this show we're going to be having uh the wonderful makeup artist uh Kaylin Ashley and uh coming on from uh from the uh face off uh series season three uh winner uh that's gonna be on within the next couple of weeks and we've got a few other uh things in the fire so um that's good that's what's going on for the show and anyway Bill thanks to you it's been it's been such a delight um talking yes, with you i enjoyed it and uh you guys have been great and thank you for 
liking my films. I appreciate it. You know, your films are fun. And isn't that what it's all meant to be about? Uh, Do they entertain? And that's, you know, I, 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 I think it's true. I think your films are, are, are highly fun, highly terrific. And I think that's the reason why they are, they're still on people's minds some 50 years later. Well, the, see what people don't realize. The longest shooting schedule I ever had was like 18 days. Most of those films I shot in 10 days. And, you know. Did you take some kind of course with Roger Corman uh, or, or something about how to squeeze the smallest, but, you know, the, uh, the smallest shooting schedule you can make the most out of it? Yeah. Uh, well, I'll tell you. Uh, I mean, Roger, you know, went on. Roger was real smart, you know, in that he had his own distribution and so forth. Sure. Sure. And, uh, yeah. Sure. Sure. But anyway, yeah. But yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, people don't realize that a lot of these films you see today, right. like, like my daughter Melanie is the first assistant director uh, in the DGA, and she's done over 100 major movies and TV shows. She just got seven months. She was on a thing called Manhunt, which is about. Uh, the guy that killed Abraham Lincoln, you know. Sure. And uh, well, uh, all of her schedules are, you know, 90 days scheduled, uh, 120 days scheduled. They shoot. Let, let them try making a movie in 10 days, you know. <laughs> That's right. We'll show well, how it's really done. Yes. <laughs> right. Well, Bill, thanks very much for joining us on the show today. And uh, we hope nothing but the uh you know nothing but the best for you in the future that's thanks right, to you guys i appreciate it all right there's so long bill that's yeah. our show al take us out okay. as always remember to watch horror films keep america strong uh, thank you <laughs>